0: hi listeners thanks for joining us at the steve prayerman podcast as usual got my two stalwarts uh, helping me that's tom in the office and howard in his front room howard that dropped the h uh, the f-bomb Last week it created a bit of uh, damage over the airways, and I think it's starting a fan club on the back of it now. But, um, but also very honored to say our, our guest this week, um, is one of my favorite people. I gotta tell you, I don't have anyone on the podcast that I don't like, so <laughs> bear in mind they're all liked, but Tony is, um, as I say, one of one of my favourite people for all sorts of reasons that we'll come on to as we as we go, but it's Tony Galvin. Welcome, Tony. Yeah,
1: please do join you. Yeah, great to good. see you all.
0: Good man. I think Tony's yeah. got a good uh, a good Tottenham tale and more to tell because of the way that he he joined our great club and what he went through and, and how it developed and where he went on next and what he's doing now. And before I forget, Tony, my brother Bill sends you his regards. I think you oh, come Bill, across yeah, him no, Come across him in the days yeah, when you were teaching it. in Uxbridge. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. yeah. Tony, so uh, to start off, um, tell us how it started. Where did you go to school and how did you, how did you develop as a footballer at a young age?
1: Okay, so um, I went to a grammar school, and um, in the 60s, uh, the grammar schools didn't play football. We weren't allowed to play football at all. So if you played any football, it would have to be outside, and there wasn't a great deal of football going on in those days. So it was rugby union for us. So all the lads who um, played sport were in the rugby union team. I was a standoff. And one thing that that did teach me was that it helped to toughen me up a bit, because I was a bit of a baby. And uh, you used to get clattered by those forwards as a standoff. So that, that was good physically, mentally, it toughened me up. Uh, and then sort of halfway through school, we, d- we started playing football. And um, obviously then that gave me the opportunity and other lads to, to do what we really wanted to do. Rugby Union would be our second sport. And, so you didn't,
0: uh, Tony, sorry to interrupt, so you didn't represent the school team, because there wasn't a school team, therefore,
1: a school team. <laughs>
0: therefore you didn't represent your county, your district.
1: No, we, 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 we've we had a chat with you, Steve, actually, something similar happened to us. We had uh, our PE teacher sent some of us to trials for the Huddersfield schools under-15s, even though we hadn't really played any football. He sort of had a hunch that some of us were decent. Um, but actually none of, we we went. I think you said that maybe that's you you did get in and you hadn't played a lot of football. Well actually yeah. none of us got in. we we a few of us went, but none of us got in. I think there was a bit of a, a feeling that we weren't playing school uh, football, so we weren't we weren't suitable. So we went to field trials, none of us got in. Um so representative, I played for Yorkshire under eighteens when we went into the sixth form. Uh, we had a quite good first 11 at, at football in the grammar school. So I played for Yorkshire schools under that was under eight teams. Yeah. It used to be called Yorkshire Grammar Schools, actually, because generally the ones, the good players, left school at 15, 16 and signed for, for local clubs, or in your case, Spurs. But, yeah, um, and Tony, I, your your brother made that,
0: that change, didn't he? He joined Leeds United as a 15-year-old.
1: Absolutely. My brother was um, four and a half years older than me and uh, he's fanatical about football growing up and that's all he ever wanted to do was become a professional footballer. And uh, even though he was very good at school, um, the head teacher at school begged him to stay on in the sixth form. Chris said no. Leeds United came in for him. Uh, We had a scout coming to the house, sort of. Saying that Chris needed to come and sign for Leeds United, and obviously Leeds in the mid sixties were one of the were becoming one of the greatest teams in the country uh, and Europe. So Chris had um, was committed; he wanted to sign for Leeds, and that was it. Or just Phil tried to sign him, but it was no competition. Really, it was Leeds for for Chris.
0: So you um, grew up, you grew up, Tony, watching him play
1: for Leeds youth team. Absolutely. So on a Saturday morning, me and my dad would go and watch Chris playing at Leeds on the the pitch, which was next to the ground, on a Saturday morning. I remember. Yeah, he'd be playing in the Northern Intermediate League against, you know, Sunderland, Newcastle, Sheffield Wednesday, those sort of teams. Um, And, you know, obviously it was very competitive. I used to quite like going... His manager was a bloke called Sid Owen, who was quite a well-known man from that era.
0: Yeah, I know that.
1: Sid was a, a really tough. He really was tough. He really gave those lads a hard time. Terry O'Roth played with Chris at the, in that team because Chris was in it a year younger than Terry. I believe Terry was a year older than Chris. Yeah. Terry was there. And um, they had a very good youth team, obviously. And one or two of them then progressed into the first team squad. And my brother was one of them. Yeah. Even though he didn't play a lot of games for Leeds. He was in the squad for about four or five years.
0: Brilliant.
1: He, he had never played. He was sort of coming off the bench. Or but a good
0: group, squad. a good group to be surrounded by, I would think. Hard to get into, but in terms of learning the game, I expect he picked up lots of nice tricks from from the Leeds team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He could certainly, he certainly learned to look after himself because the the Leeds of those days. One of the things they could all do, every one of them, they could look, they can protect themselves and, you know, that thing about putting your foot, holding your foot nice and firm, but basically somebody kicks your foot, if it's above the ball, that's their fault, not yours, it was that mentality, you know, Um, they didn't do it deliberately, so they said, but it was, a, they they, they could all do it, Norman Hunter, Johnny Giles could do it, and they used to put the foot, Sort of slightly above the ball and hold it firm. Then somebody would so. Sort of, oh no! I didn't mean to do that, ref. Yeah. And, um, they used to make a mess. Johnny Giles was one of the, you know, the, I would say he'd be one of the nastiest, fantastic footballer, but a real what gritty, a player. Yeah, a real gritty. You know, would really put shift in him. Billy Bremner, great players to watch, but they could all look after themselves. And and yeah. you know, that's that was part of the game.
0: Yeah, even, even the forwards used to kick you.
1: Absolutely, Alan Clark was really Alan very Clark. good at putting. Yeah, yeah, very good at that. Um, and, um, you know, we used to go and watch the first team and Chris would be some... Occasionally he'd be sub, often he'd be in the squad. he travelled travel around Europe with them. Don Revy really like Chris, but he just said, you know, you have to bide your time. It took a while to get into the team. Yeah. And um, so eventually Chris sort of lost patience because his chance wasn't coming. And uh, I think it was about 1973, he left um, Leeds because he wasn't getting enough games and went to play with Hull City.
0: And then Hull came into your world
1: yeah, Hull as a place, as a place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when, I, when I left school, um, I've been played for England schools under 18, I then went to Hull University. Uh, and did Russian studies, which was um, something we'd been doing at school. We did Russian at school and I wasn't particularly, didn't have much idea what I wanted to do. So I thought, yeah, why not? We'll go to university and go to Hull, um, not too far from home. And um, one of the bonuses of what, well, I could go and watch my brother play football on a Saturday afternoon, which was nice. Yeah.
0: So how did you get into Town? Which then was the stepping stone to come to Tottenham.
1: So what what happened there was that um, Alan Turner was the manager of Gold Town in the the old Northern Premier League. This is pre sort of the the, the national conference, and yep. um, he knew that I was Chris Galvin's brother. So he came to watch me playing for Hull University one Wednesday afternoon uh, when we used to play our games, and. Um, Next thing I knew, he said, um, "Do you want to come and play for goal? We'll put you on uh, what we call sort of an amateur fund. I used to get expenses, and my, I used to get five pound every time I played for Gold Town, and yeah. so I played for them for for the next sort of six months, and then I signed a contract with them, sort of professional contract, uh, part time, obviously professional contract. Yeah. And then it went from five to ten pound. That was my sort of first proper wage as a non-league part-time footballer." So, and was, then was really, because obviously, goal and Hull were very close to each other, yeah, very graphically.
0: And then there was you, you obviously created an impression enough for Bill Nicholson to come watch you play on behalf of Tottenham. Bill was scouting then for Keith, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I was doing quite well in the Northern Premier League. Again, tough environment to, to learn your football. Um, obviously, the standards were. Maybe obviously the, it was non-league football, but physically extremely demanding. And um, there were some tough ex-players playing in the in the, the league, who knew how to look after themselves. So you had to toughen up, and the verbals and all that, and sort of you know say you do that once more, and you you know you go in the stand, I break your legs, all that sort of stuff. I played against the lad who played for Wigan. Who was the scariest man I'd ever played against? And he played, he played against um, Spurs in the FA Cup for Altringham. He had a beard. I'm trying to think of oh. his name. Oh, um, yeah, he played against Spurs because I remember yeah. watching that game. And uh, Spurs drew the first game and then hammered them away from home in the replay. Yeah. And he, he he played there, but he was the most frightening man I've ever played against on the football field. And he actually said to me. Um, when we played at Wigan, obviously I was doing quite well and we were beating Wigan at half-time. And he said, just before the half-time, he said to me, if you come near me and go past me and embarrass me, I am telling you now I'm going to kill you. And <laughs> he actually said those very words. So when I came into the dressing room half-time, we had a few ex-players. One or two of them said, well, actually, if he says he's going to kill you, he probably will. So I suggest I suggest that you... Use your intelligence and stay give him a wide berth. Stay well clear of him. Don't embarrass him. Go to if he's in one side of the pitch, you're going to stand on the other side of the pitch, and then he'll be happy and you will get you will get your legs broken.
0: That is a that that advice is a form of protection.
1: Yeah. They were trying to tell me what how to look after myself. By not getting near and, you know, or embarrassing him or doing anything, just leave, just stay well clear of him and he'll be fine and then you'll be fine. And then we can all have a nice game of football. And um, (laughs) And go home. And go home. And um, that taught me a little bit of a lesson that obviously he was getting slightly embarrassed by, you know, an 18, 19-year-old. And um, it was, yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a lesson.
0: Perhaps... Perhaps when Bremner and Giles were kicking the life out of me, Tony, as an 18-year-old, yeah. I, should have, I should have gone to another part of the field. Yeah, yeah but
1: that but, wasn't in your nature, was it? Obviously, perhaps, you thought fire with fire. So perhaps was, I,
0: perhaps yeah. I missed out there.
1: Yeah. Howard, have you yeah. got
0: any recollections of that Leeds team? Absolutely. I mean, they were, they were frightening. Norman did bite your legs. Yeah. Bremner yeah. wouldn't take any nonsense. Charles was infamous. Um, and it's really—I always thought it meant lead, That lead side was a fantastic team. Yeah, unbelievable but they, team. But they spoiled their legacy because they didn't need to kill out anyone. They could do it all with this, the ability they had. Yeah, they—they t- they tried to cover every base, and yeah. one of the bases were, was, frighten the life out your opponent, and that—that mm. that would stop most players. Yeah, and uh, I got to tell you, it did stop most players. And um, that was, that was part of their, that was part of their success. But I always remember the famous game where they got taken apart by Celtic in a European Cup game and uh, Celtic certainly sorted them out. Oh my word, Tony. So um, the interest from
1: Tottenham was with regard to Bill Nicholson. So, yeah. So what happened was that obviously we were doing quite well. I was sort of. A few local clubs have been sent, the manager told me, one or two local clubs, so therefore that would be, you know, you sort of Scunthorpe, Doncaster, um, Grimsby in those days would, would be sort of coming along because so they were quite close to come and watch you. And yeah. then then sort of out of the blue, he said that there's a Tottenham scout who's been to watch you and um, a, a, a more senior Tottenham scout is going to come and watch you. But he didn't have a clue. Obviously, the manager didn't have a clue who this senior person was. He said somebody's going to come and watch, and they're going to come and watch at a place called Buxton, which coincidentally are the lowest team currently in the FA Cup. They've got through to the next round of the FA Cup. So we played Buxton on, and it's in the Peak District, and it was it was in the winter. I would say it'd be sort of early December. And it was um one of the worst nights you could imagine um snow, wind, hailstones, rain, more wind, <laughs> mud. you name it, it came, and the the pitch was absolutely appalling. The game was was awful <laughs> I, was or I don't remember anything memorable about the game, and then I thought there's no way Tottenham Scout is going to make his way across this uh, Across the Peak District tonight, it's just not going to happen, is it? So I just presumed that nobody turned up that day, and but as it turned out, as I found later, obviously, if Bill Nicholson says he's going to come and watch a game, he was determined to come and watch the game, and he came. Up, he came to the game apparently with his wife. Um, I don't know what he what he did after. I don't know whether or not he was doing something else at the time, but he was definitely there, and I know for a fact. He was there and he didn't stay that long either and I think he left soon after half time because I think he had to go off I and mean, maybe he was a bit worried about the weather, but he must have, I couldn't believe that somebody like Bill would would sort of see that one through because it really was an appalling evening. Mm. There'd be 200, maybe 200 people at the game. Bill Nick uh,
0: was made of hardy yeah. stuff, Tone.
1: Yeah. I, I think if it, could, if it would have been anybody else, then that other person would not have um, turned up at that game. There'd have been everybody. an excuse.
0: There'd have been an excuse not oh, to absolutely go.
1: Absolutely an excuse. Yeah, I had to turn back. You know, the road was blocked. The police told me to turn around or something like that. <laughs> but because he was Bill, he um
0: he got through he it.
1: Yeah, but obviously I'd never met Bill then. It The was story. Only there to
0: the story is tone, but I've never had this verified. That yeah. Bill Nick goes home this particular day and says to his wife, and it's their anniversary, we're going out, <laughs> and he took her to watch you play.
1: Well, that, no, that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. It's very kind of him to take, take it to the Peak District. It would have been a bit wiser to do it in, in August or September, not in uh, yeah not in December.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so
1: eventually, is it right that we paid them? Um, Three thousand pounds for you? It's five, I was told. It was five thousand pound, I was told, and another five when you played a few more a few first team. I think it was ten first team games. There's supposed yeah. to be another five or ten to be paid.
0: They didn't throw um, their money about in those days, no, did they? Tottenham? No, no,
1: no. And I think I was told later on that it was quite hard to get the money out out of the <laughs> Spurs, you know, with the when you actually made those appearances, I don't think the money was forthcoming. It was actually well, yeah. What about that money you owe us? Because obviously, maybe five thousand pounds to to a good uh, team like go. Was um, you know obviously it would help pay the wages of some of the players. Sure. For so I'm surprised we won. never
0: went up there and played a like a a preseason yeah. game to to help them along. That's what that's what key Style normally was, I suppose. Yeah, was- yeah. I
1: think because I was. I was. It was quite a low-level signing. I mean, obviously, I signed. I became a full-time professional at Spurs the same summer that Ricky and Ozzy had signed. So I was sort of, if you describe me as being under the radar, that would um, <laughs> doing me a favour. Actually, I was so under the radar. You know, I was below ground level. Um, so I sort of, I I, I signed full time, and then. Basically, nobody knew because everybody it was, was a secret on. signing. Yeah, everybody <laughs> it, was focused on Ricky and Ozzy, and uh, and obviously John Lacey would sign that summer as well. Perhaps From Bill to... Nick was Secret Santa, <laughs> yeah, at and oh, gifted yeah, it was December.
0: Yeah. and gifted you to the club.
1: Yeah, perhaps and that was, was the way. That, it was only then that I actually bumped into Bill once or twice, you know, and he's, he said I came to watch you play at Buxton. And he said, you know, what a horrible night it was. And I said, Yeah, it wasn't a very good game, Bill, was it? And he, he said, Yeah. But when I saw you, I just I just thought there was something there, and you know, and, and I didn't have to see too much. And then I and you were read.
0: and you were 21 years of age.
1: I was 21 years, yeah. I'd finished my degree at university and I was doing a teacher training qualification. I was halfway through when I signed for Tottenham on a part-time basis, and I was I was at Somebody, um, Tom mentioned earlier about uh, College of Higher Education I was at, uh, it was called Trent Polytechnic in those days and uh, that later became the university, it's now the University of Trent, I think it's called Yeah. so we were a polytechnic and I did my teacher training there and uh, that's when, that's where I was when I signed for Tottenham and January I came and signed and then Keith said to me Keith Birkenshaw, said um Um, in Yorkshire fashion, good old Yorkshire fashion, saying, because obviously Bill was a Yorkshire man and he says, well, look, if I was you, if you're halfway through your course, I would finish it off. I do not recommend you throwing all your eggs in one basket because, firstly, I've never seen you play. I don't know if you're any good. Um, But Bill seems to think there's something there. So, um, let's see how it goes. So I, I basically just really just turned up for reserve games and trained once or twice at Tottenham and assigned full time in July. Once I finished my teacher training qualification.
0: Yeah, which came in very handy later on. It,
1: it did because when I retired from football, it meant that I could go and work in a college of further education. Even though I wasn't teaching Russian, it meant that I had a teaching qualification yeah. Yeah, which was obviously mandatory to work in education. So it was something that I could fall back on later. So Keith did me a big, big favour. I don't think he really cared that much. Keith really, he just thought, but you know, play it safe, play it safe. You never know, oh. you might be out of this club in a year's time. So it's sort of Keith was a bit like that. I always think on the uh, negative side, not on the positive side. So he <laughs> did me a favour there, Keith.
0: People that watch Keith's team play would be very surprised by that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just being practical. It, yeah. It was in a very matter of fact. I mean, this was a meeting when I came and signed my first con- part time contract. He said, This is what you're going to get. You know, I didn't have a clue. No agents in those days. I didn't know what I was walking into. And mm. He said, We're going to give you £50 a week till July. And then, all being well, you will sign you full-time in July. You can sign on a proper contract. He says, it's £50, pound, take it or leave it. If you don't want it, then don't sign. Don't have it. That was it. £50, that was it. Pound, that was it. But obviously yeah. to a student, £50 pound was an awful lot of money in those days in 1978.
0: Tony, so you joined a club with two Argentinian World Cup winners.
1: Yeah.
0: And the team was, okay, not yet formed, but starting to happen. Had a lot yeah. of good homegrown players. I suppose yeah. you were in amongst all of those, the yeah, homegrowners. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, how did you get treated by the rest of us? Don't don't be afraid to say, Tom. How did how did we treat you?
1: Well, to say they took the piss out of me would be <laughs> I'm being kind. Um, the worst one of the lot was Terry Naylor, obviously not a used to give me horrendous abuse about everything I wore and the way I talked and you name it. Terry took the piss out of it. So it, it was it was a tough upbringing. And then we had Gary Brooke and Mark Falco, East End Boys, and Maxi, who, who, who also took the mickey out of me. It was mainly because I'd, I'd never had any money. So you can imagine the sort of clothes I used to turn up in tra- training. So I don't really think... Funny.
0: I don't think they could understand either your your voice or no, the obviously. fact that you're intelligent, Tone. I think that sort of threw them. That threw a wobbly in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose, really, they, they they didn't know how to take me. But, I mean, they, they, they used to have good fun when we used to go in the ball court on a Tuesday and the Thursday afternoon, because basically I was awful in that ball court. I was awful, and Gary Brooke and Matt Falco were, were, you know, we did that ball, you know. You know, you've done all some of those skills yeah. about trying to get it in the circle and volume, yeah. you know, all that type of thing. And I was useless, awful. Peter Shreve, who was a reserve team manager, used to take the piss out of me as well. And he said, you know, we've got a lot of work to do here. <laughs> Talking about honing your techniques, improving your skill levels, and um. You, I was often the last person to leave the ball court because if we had a task, you know, you had a task, it could have been... Hit the crossbar. Year, hit the crossbar. And I've been there on my own with Peter maybe half an hour after everybody's gone home. But the lads used to stand around and watch me, which, again, put you under pressure. It made you even worse, didn't it, when they're all watching you. Yeah. so all sniggering. And yet, and yet
0: you got in the first team before some of them.
1: Yeah, but it's... Um,
0: and stayed in. Playing. And yeah, stayed in.
1: You know, I was lucky because, in one respect, one thing, I used I signed as a right-sided midfield player, winger. Um, that's where I played for town. And the one thing that I was brought up with when my dad used to play when, you know, down the field was kick with both feet. You must kick yeah. with both feet. And my brother was the same. He could kick with both feet. We, we know how basic that is, but... Um, what that did for me when Tottenham seemed to have a problem on the left-hand side. Always, nobody really at that time wanted to be sort of finish up there. And I remember John Pratt playing there sometimes, and it didn't really suit him playing there. And I know Ricky played there sometimes, and he hated it, as Ricky wanted to be sort of more central or behind the front. And it was a place that nobody seemed to want to be. Yeah, and then so when you get the opportunity to go and play, then and I played in a, a few friendlies and whatever. And I said, "Well, no, I I'm quite happy to play that." Well, obviously, I just thought I was happy to play wherever, and it was a problem in the team. So it was um, it didn't seem to be a problem for me. I said, "Yeah, I can do that. I can kick my ball with both feet and go. I can go one side. I can go the other. I don't really mind." So huh. um, it sort of helped me that. It, it's that basic, I think, from my point of view, that I could kick with both feet.
0: Tony, what I really liked about you was that um, you brought a freshness to us and you had a running ability. You know, I'm hearing now that the new manager is is suggesting to players that they can run a bit further and a bit harder. I think yeah. if you've got to suggest that to a player, you're talking to the wrong player. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But anyway,
1: yeah, no, brought- no, I, ab- absolutely. And um, I I can't say I've watched a lot of Tottenham recently, but um, I certainly f- seem to feel that they're not, that the players aren't running as far as they used to run in recent years and they're not running as quickly when they do run. I mean, that's pretty basic, but it does mm-hmm. seem that, that some of the players are not covering the ground that they used to and not covering it, covering the ground at pace. Which obviously yeah.
0: you need to do. Well, obviously, obviously the team that you got into had a lot of talent, a lot of talent. Ozzy, Ricky, Glenn, Mickey Hazard, sort of backing it up, yeah. Archie Garth, all of that yeah. stuff. But but you were fresh that you had a you you actually had a, a non-leagueness about you. Yeah. It was like a a fresh, honest, run-in style that teams are made up of lots of different you know yeah. parts and you've you've found you made yourself selectable you made yeah, yourself I, you made yeah. yourself available to glenn's long passing for instance yeah, absolutely. well how clever I mean, is that
1: yeah well um, obviously again it's fortunate to be playing in the team with somebody as good as glenn that they could deliver those passes so you know again it was it was uh, my opportunity to make the most of that. But but the fact about the running thing was something that obviously came naturally to me. That, you know, basically, whenever I went out on the football field, I like to sort of run up and down. And when I play with Chris, Chris Newton, he, you know, I love covering for Chris because Chris used to like to bomb on in, in the way that all fullbacks do now. But Chris was superb when he used to go forward and I just used to say it was automatic Chris went past you, you just tucked in and supported him from behind and um, and then Chris was confident that I would do sort of some sort of job covering him and allowing him to go forward so um, that was another thing I could do I, I could tackle, I wasn't necessarily the, the best tackler but I certainly would, would put my foot in or my head in uh, mm. If need be, in difficult situations, so that was another thing that probably helped. When so Keith was picking the team. Mm. That, so that
0: partnership, know. that partnership tone, obviously flourished into playing for error. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and a World was, Cup. And yeah, Chris was um, Chris was the one who said to me uh, a couple of years before I played. He said, "You know, we're looking for some extra players. We've all been sent out to our clubs." to try and find out if anybody's got any Irish, you know, sort of grandparents or anything like that. So the lads would go back to the clubs. This was Owen Hand, who was the manager. And um, he actually asked the players to go back and see if any lads in their teams could come and play. You know, I had an Irish, any ancestry. I mean, um, some of them were very dubious, some of the lads who played for, I mean, Tony Cascarino, apparently. Uh, played under false pretences. I don't know if that was actually true, but he, he had no ancestry at all. And what was your link? So mine was my granddad was from the Republic of Ireland. He was born in Limerick, so um, so that was my link. And I knew that for a fact. I had an Irish granddad, and he said, "Chris says that's fine. That's enough. You, you want to qualify for an Irish passport, uh, and we, which I did. It's just it just took an awful long time because they, they weren't the most efficient." of an FA the the FAI (laughs) that's an understatement (laughs) and all they had to do was find my the birthplace the birth details of my granddad Mm. Um, you know that's all that's all they had to do they had to find out that he was actually born so basically just finding your birth certificate or the place or a record in a church and that took about 12 months for that to happen just to find that one bit of evidence wow they were you know that was that was that was literally twelve months. So I, I think they're know. still
0: I think they're still looking for my ancestry. Yeah. Turn. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. think they ever found it. Yeah. <laughs> Chris he never mentioned it to me, by the way. No. And I, and I think he was playing right back at the time <laughs> for you, so he he didn't fancy me being involved at right back against him. No, did he? no,
1: absolutely no. No, obviously Chris was another one. He played he played um, he could play right or left. Yeah. Um, but he finished up on that left side. Um, it was very comfortable playing there. But, um, yeah, it was great to play with, with Chris because uh, Chris was another one who sort of, he was a lift engineer, when not he? was a, yeah. a youngster. And he was a part-time professional at Spurs. And then sort of out of the blue, he got his chance. I think it was against Man United in a game. And yeah. um, flourished in the game. And then he really, he never went out of the team, did he, after that?
0: Absolutely. Um yeah. Tony, we're running out of time. Just tell okay. us about tell us about making Ricky's goal.
1: Okay, so obviously that people always mention that, and quite rightly, quite happy for him to mention it because. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what happened was that we were getting the game was getting towards the end. And we were getting quite tired, and so Graham gave me the ball, and it was just outside the box. I think sort of in in our final third, and. I had this knack of running towards the corner flag. I didn't deliberately do it, but I sort of seemed to head in a direct line towards the corner flag um, and sort of try and whip my foot round it. And on this occasion, I I sort of ran towards the corner flag and basically just ran out of pitch. There was nowhere to go. (laughs) I carried on, I had to run straight into the stand. We're now, reached, talk, we're now talking about the greatest ever goal at won yeah. a cup final. You and run I out of pitch the corner flag. I was probably quite a few yards from the corner flag, and then so basically, what I did, I just stopped the ball, turned round, and probably was quite tired, <laughs> so was looking for an out ball, looking for somebody to give the ball to, and fortunately, Ricky wanted the ball. And he was having quite a good game at that stage anyway, I think he'd already scored. So he wanted the ball and he took the ball and in a quite a almost innocuous position, um, but in a bit of space. And I was delighted because it sort of, basically I'd run out of ideas, run out of pitch. I did, It was just get rid of the ball, off you go, Ricky, see what you do with that.
0: Tony, so was, he done the yeah. rest.
1: He did the rest. Yeah. He did the rest. The rest right? of but,
0: Absolutely. but you had the you had the last pass. Yeah. Um, well, it, it counts as an assist, doesn't it? Yeah. So and I got, and ben, I got to
1: tell
0: you, I got to tell you that changed all our lives, chaps, didn't it? Yeah. Howard changed That's our the, lives.
1: Yeah.
0: Tom, you although you weren't there, Tom, you were. I grew up. You know, up, all, you know grew, all about it. I grew up watching the video over and over again.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Tony, listen, it's been great talking to you. There's there's lots more we could talk about, your Newcastle days with with Aussie and Swindon and all of that. We'll we'll have you back on if you don't mind.
1: No problem, yeah, you've been great great to talk to.
0: So um, we're gonna close up now. Um, Although Chrissy didn't ask me for my Irish ancestry, (laughs) I mentioned it last time that I've got an Irish grandmother. And people have asked where she was from. She was from Bativan in County Cork. Right. Which they tell me was, is a nice place. And uh, I'm really interested to, to hear you say that you were soft at school.
1: Yeah. Because you didn't play soft.
0: Is. Tony, you didn't play um, soft.
1: Yeah. So maybe we just got to thank Rugby Union for that, for just, just toughening you up a little bit. But I was uh, a bit of a baby.
0: Absolutely. Well, there's been some great uh, Yorkshiremen at our club, some very, very good Yorkshiremen, and you're one of them, Tom. And you, yeah. you you, was a delight to be a colleague. And I'm so proud that you've come on this podcast to, to give us your views. And I, I think people listening to this will understand why Tony Galvin is one of my favourite people. Um, he says it just as it happens, as it is. And uh, that's, in football, that's not quite normal, I would say. Yeah. So um it, it was. A, uh, I should have called you over to the right a bit more, Tony, to, to protect me when I was getting a chasing you had by men, a winger. You
1: had men in front of you, didn't you? You were fine.
0: Well, that's why I probably needed <laughs> yeah. a bit
1: of help as well. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> so, um, so to finish. um yeah, I've learned a few things today with Tony's podcast. I've, I've learned that Tony was soft growing up, which I wasn't aware of, uh, that Keith Birkinshaw was negative. He certainly wasn't when he picked a team, he wasn't negative. Although Bill Nicholson does own up that he, um, by living too long down south, he got into soft southern <laughs> habits, Did you read that, Tony, about him?
1: Yeah, yeah. He must have said
0: that to you at some time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just a a, a report on other Tottenham people that we know. I went to see Peter Taylor's team uh, play at Bath. He manages Welling now. And Brian Statham's son was playing in the team, Brian, who we remember. uh, Brian was in the stand, so I said hello to him. So it was great to see... um, Uh, to see uh, him again Um, so yeah thank you for listening everyone Uh, I think it's been a really good podcast Tony we're going to have you back on again if you don't mind talking about talking about your thoughts on the modern game I'll be be interested in that and um, yeah so thanks for listening troops of course we got uh, Leeds United next game and uh, let's hope we continue the progress that ponte is making and uh, gets them to doing a bit more running (laughs) which always helps people used to tell me if you cannot run you cannot play and i tend to agree with that and um so yeah thanks for listening and come on you spurs